2: Good morning, crypto.
0: Good morning, warriors. Hello and welcome back to another episode of your favorite crypto news channel, Good Morning Crypto, where we bring you the most relevant and impactful crypto-related topics from the top crypto research team in the world. I'm your host, Abs, joined by several members of our 3T family this morning. We got the Italian stallion, I mean the Portuguese stallion, Mario, also known as the Node Defender, NFT Tones is joining us this morning, and we may have a very special guest joining us later in the episode, so be sure to stay tuned. I'm very excited for today. Today on Good Morning Crypto, we'll be discussing how global regulators are using the FTX collapse as an opportunity to trash crypto, while mainstream media is fully promoting Sam Bankman-Fried, also calling him a kid, making the world a better place. Polygon integrates with the Craft Network, marking a major milestone for this digital asset. As BlackRock's CEO states, the tokenization of everything is inevitable, breaking down how all assets will inevitably move to the blockchain. XRP is now being leveraged by Amazon customers in Brazil for cross-border payments. As our friend Mark Yusko made some bold statements in regards to Cardano and XRP, stating developers dislike these blockchains. And with G20's goal of settling all transactions within 60 minutes, we exposed the road to this major milestone. From AI replacing jobs in America to accepting universal basic income, we exposed the game, preparing our listeners for a world post-financial reset. Our show is available on your favorite podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Music. And for those of you listening via podcast, our show is live on YouTube Monday through Friday, 11 a.m. Eastern at the 3T Warrior Academy channel. So Mario, the pressure is on you this morning, my friend. Johnny Crypto had to call out sick, so I hope you're ready to talk. How are you feeling? And thank you for being here.
3: I'm feeling good, man. I mean, the only pressure I feel is that I think I may be at fault for getting Johnny Crypto sick, right, oh, this no. weekend. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. But well, nonetheless, good morning, everyone. I'm happy to be back. It's been a while since I've been, uh, been on the show, so i was super excited, super excited to talk crypto. I feel like these days, man, it's kind of hard. With, like, I don't really talk crypto that much anymore unless it's with you guys. So I'm excited. Let's do it. Well,
0: good thing you're friends with me, Mario, because I don't talk about too much of anything else. NFT Tones, how you feeling this morning, my friend? You are the Italian Stallion since Johnny's not here. Thank you for being here. And how you feeling?
2: I'm feeling fantastic. My arm's doing better. I'm excited to be here. Can't say much more than that. All I know is I got better looking hair than Johnny, and I'm glad to be replacing him today because uh, who the hell wants to look at that when you could see a full uh, full hair? Right here.
0: <laughs> brutal NFT tones. I don't know what to say there. But we're going to start this show off the same way we always do, by showing you our Good Morning Crypto Twitter account. That's at 3TGM Crypto on Twitter. You get access to every single member of our team. Go smash that follow button. We love talking to you. The Bitcoin Fear and Greed Index is in moderate fear this morning, sitting at a 27. When we check out the daily movers, we've got Wrapped ETH up 17% this morning, Dash Network up 6%. Nothing really worth addressing. Matic is performing uh, extremely well, up six percent. We're going to look at the total coin market cap now. We're sitting at 853 billion in total market cap. Bitcoin is 38 percent dominance. Ethereum is about 18 percent. We've got Bitcoin sitting at 16,900. Ethereum 1,200. XRP is 39 cents. Algorand is 24 cents. And Quant Network, one of our favorites, is sitting at 122 dollars. in Mario, we've got some pretty exciting news to show our listeners today as Quant Network. It's not only making a banking system interoperable, we could have some implications when it comes to Twitter leveraging cryptocurrency. We've got some really great connections to show our listeners. So is there anything you've been watching lately and what's on your mind?
3: Yeah, I'm glad I picked up some quant a couple of weeks ago as it touched a hundred dollars. So that was a good uh, DCA for me, even though that I'm right about that level, a hundred dollars. That's my average cost. I wasn't able to pick up any quant below a hundred dollars. So yeah, I've been keeping an eye on pretty much, pretty much the same. Um, keeping an eye on quant uh that picked up 2 weeks ago i've been accumulating dcaing into gala I've, uh, I've been accumulating matic as well um you know nothing nothing new under the sun just keeping keeping my my mind on the future trying to accumulate all these projects while while we're at these lows i mean it's crazy last year at this time you know everybody's talking about buying because we were going to get this uh this alt season and now that prices are super low you don't really hear that much anymore you don't really get those You don't really get those people that are not in crypto coming up to you and like, oh, you know, I should buy crypto. Nobody wants to get involved right now, but this is the best time to get involved, in my opinion.
0: And that's exactly the time when you should be getting involved. When you go into the grocery store and they criticize you for talking about crypto, that's the time when I want a dollar cost average as opposed to them telling me I should be buying Shiba Inu. We're going to start this show off with an interesting video from Joe Rogan back in 2017 talking about how universal basic income, it used to be an idea of the past. Now it may be a necessity. So I'm going to let this short clip play and go back to Mario. Here we go.
1: It made a, I made a big shift because uh, I had my friend Eddie Wong on once, and he was the first person to bring it up. And I, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, get the fuck out of here. Like universal basic income, just going to give people money, they're just going to be lazy, nothing's ever going to get done. That's a terrible idea. And then I started paying attention to the rise of AI and automation and how many jobs are going to get taken yes, away. Yes. And then once you see the actual numbers, it's pretty staggering. Yeah, and that's how I got there,
0: Joe. Mario, what catches my attention here is we've always talked about how AI is inevitably going to replace a lot of the jobs that people have today, whether it's being a fast food employee or a truck driver. Many of the jobs that we consider essential are about to be outdated, and all those people are going to enter the unemployment force, and UBI appears to be a solution that is coming more and more to the forefront. What do you think about universal basic income playing a role in the future and the fact that Joe Rogan, he's already talking about it?
3: Yeah. I mean, technology has been a threat to, to jobs for, for a few years now, you know, it's been, it's been slowly taking over those, those cash cashiers at at the supermarkets with those, with those uh, self-checkouts. And it's only a matter of time, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, and the highways, what do you call them? The tolls You used to be able to, you know, have to actually talk to a person, pay your toll with a person. Now it's all automated. They send you a letter home. So jobs are going to slowly get, get taken over by technology. And with AI, I mean, yeah, huge. But universal basic income, yeah, that's something that we hear talking about more and more every single time. And I think that it is inevitable at this point, just like somebody said in the chat, it's it's inevitable, it's going to happen. Everything that's happened over the last two years has been, um, you know, getting people used to depending even more on the government, which is very unfortunate, because, you know, how much can you grow if you really depend on the government, uh, you know, your whole life, you I've got goals. I want to achieve things. I'm not going to do that if I'm depending on the government, but yeah, it's inevitable. I, I'm just, uh, I'm just surprised to see Joe Rogan being a supporter of it.
0: Thank you, Mario. And I'd love to get some quick thoughts from NFT Tones here. Tones, what's on your mind, my friend, UBI, they're already talking about it here in 2022, but eventually when AI replaces a lot of these jobs, it's not going to be a conversation. It's going to be a reality. So what are you anticipating, my friend? And what do you think about
2: Rogan talking about universal basic income? I mean, what's interesting is he was talking about it in 2017. So like that was five years ago. And for him to be talking about it back then, he must have been knowing he knew something. He kind of knew what was in the works. So it's kind of interesting to see it kind of still being brought up now. And I mean, we all know it's inevitable. We all know it's going to come. So with robots and stuff coming, we saw it in the NFT show. We've seen it before on here. We know robots are going to replace us. We know how this is going to work. So we know UBI is inevitable. Is it a good thing? Probably not. It just sucks that we're going this route and it's unfortunate.
0: And so cryptocurrency is not only going to have an impact when it comes to universal basic income, but it's also going to have an impact when it comes to the, the tokenization of the traditional asset classes we have today, whether that's real estate, stocks, or bonds. BlackRock is acknowledging that bl- uh, blockchain can be leveraged to increase and enhance a lot of these technologies. And BlackRock CEO says the next generation for the markets is the tokenization of the securities market. So let's dive into this news here. BlackRock CEO Larry Fink says that the next generation for markets The next generation for securities will be the tokenization of securities. Tokenization refers to a process where digital representation of an asset is created on a blockchain, authenticating its transaction and ownership history. You can tokenize a variety of assets from stocks, bonds, real estates, and even alternative assets like land, wine, and art. And Mario, what really sticks out to me about this article is that if Larry Fink is already acknowledging, regardless of how critical he's been of cryptocurrencies, that blockchain can be used, They're going to have to tokenize these assets on a specific blockchain. And my guess, in the beginning, it's probably going to be Ethereum because of the alliance. But I'd love to get some of your thoughts. How do you feel about the tokenization of everything in BlackRock acknowledging this is a necessity?
3: Yeah, I mean, we know this is coming for sure. We know that everything is going to be tokenized in the future. It's just, it only makes sense. I can, the only problem I have with that is that to me, I just, I see them. And by them, you know, I mean the elites, government, however you want to call it. I see them having more control. If everything is tokenized, if everything's on the boat, blockchain, traceable, trackable, then um, they essentially have more control. And I guess that's the bad part. But, you know, you can look at that as, uh, as something that kind of ruins your your future, or you could look at, at that and and try to take advantage of that so that you can change your future. Um, the systems have been in place for years. There's nothing we can do about, about that. Systems are always going to be around. Governments are always going to try to push the control over more to towards them so the only thing we can really do is try to try to adapt to it and try to adjust our lives so that we can so that we can maneuver around it and still be happy
0: and nft tones gonzo made a great comment here it said stimulus checks were ubi already being tested and i completely agree but i've got a more another article just to validate some of the statements that larry Fink made yesterday talking about how the tokenization of everything is underway yet some of the largest financial institutions have been nothing but critical of cryptocurrencies to the public They've been working with this technology behind the scenes for nearly a decade. So we've got a couple of quotes from central banks here. It said, We don't like crypto and digital currencies because we supposedly have no control over them. Free market proponents should embrace them blindly because that's how you will beat us. While major banking firms are investing billions into various blockchain products, central banks and global institutions like the BIS and IMF are developing their own CBDC systems. The BIS actually noted, in fact, that over 90% of central banks around the world are already in the process of developing a central bank digital currency, which I believe is going to be leveraged for UBI at some point. So what does this mean to you, tones? How do you feel about this article?
2: I mean, that's a big number. 90% of the central banks are already pro- in the process of adopting CBDC. So I feel like that's one thing that we have to actually understand. But it's interesting to note that a lot of, uh, it says that. Hold on, let me enlarge the page over here. So yeah, it's definitely a really interesting notion because a lot of this means that people are going to start adopting this. And I feel like as the banks and stuff start to push CBDCs out and start saying crypto is bad, I feel like people are going to start getting scared. And until this like really starts happening, I feel like people aren't going to know like what to do because everybody's still scared from what happened with the SBF. Uh, fiasco. So until CBDCs actually come out, I feel like people are going to be scared of crypto in general. But I feel like we need to make this push to make sure people know that CBDCs are actually bad. And I feel like majority of people aren't going to understand this because right now they feel like crypto is bad. So I feel like once it's kind of like a complicated situation. Mario, we're showing a really interesting adoption curve from Raul Paul, showing
0: exactly how in just a couple of years we could have over a billion users within this market. And I'm talking about cryptocurrency specifically. I think one of the ways that we get there is the banks start to adopt this technology behind the scenes and are using it for cross-border payments or instant settlement and many of the average citizens don't even realize that they're leveraging blockchains like XRP, XLM, and Algorand behind the scenes. But well, we got 166 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. Johnny Crypto is under the weather this morning, so sending him love and high vibes. But Mario, how do you feel about Raul Paul stating that in just four years we could have over a billion users within this market?
3: I think I think it's I think it's uh, it's definitely possible. I mean the. The internet, as we know it, that that alone has been has been an evolution. And in the beginning, everybody used to, you know, the competitors or or who the internet was competing against were saying that the internet was not going to get anywhere; that it was this uh, this uh, new thing that it, that wasn't going to be adopted. And look at it now; you know, people don't live without the internet. You walk around the street, everybody's staring at the screen, and and this is just another step in that direction. They're going to take advantage of the fact that people are already connected to a device and they're and they're going to um through cbdc's and stuff like that they're going to control people even more using those devices Mario, uh, one thing i yeah. actually i'm going
0: to kick it right back to you but one of the things that i realized as we talk about universal basic income That's just another way of phrasing. We're going to print forever. And we've come up with a new mechanism to deal with inflation. If they continue to print 12,000, let's just say it's a thousand bucks a month for every citizen. If they gave every citizen in America, over 300 million people, $12,000 a month, every single year for infinity. I mean, do the math for yourself. The devaluation of the dollar would only increase. And I can only imagine they would have to roll us into some new basket of assets to even hold our value. But I'd love to get some comments from you.
3: Yeah, I don't. I'm intrigued to see how they'll do that. I mean, it's it's crazy to think that they could just print into oblivion and and then infinity. And speaking of infinity, it looks like we have a Finwiz. What's going on over here? Jeremy has joined the show.
0: Thank you, Mario. Jeremy actually said he doesn't have
3: sound yet, so we're supposed to keep live oh. scenes,
0: but now he's on the screen. So Jeremy, whenever you're ready to talk, no. the floor is yours.
4: I think I'm good. I think right, I hey. I think I'm good now. How's it going? Amazing. I didn't know I got your message, and then I was like, I don't have any clothes on, so I got my clothes on that I can jump on, on to the We appreciate the, the you show. wearing clothes
0: to the show, Jeremy. We're actually yeah. just talking about the adoption curve right now. We've got some fantastic videos planned for our listeners, and I'm going to go right back to you for some comments on this video specifically. We played it earlier in the episode, and this is Joe Rogan addressing how universal basic income is going to become a necessity then we're going to draw some connections to Quant networks. So here we go.
1: I made a big shift because uh, I had my friend Eddie Wong on once, and he was the first person to bring it up. And I, my initial knee-jerk reaction was, get the fuck out of here. Like universal basic income, just going to give people money. They're just going to be lazy. Nothing's ever going to get done. That's a terrible idea. And then I started paying attention to the rise of AI and automation and how many jobs are going to get taken yes, away. Yes. The, and then once you see the actual numbers, it's pretty staggering. Yeah, that's how I
0: got there. Jeremy, we've talked about this behind the scenes countless times, but we know that AI is going to replace plenty of essential jobs today. And there's two routes we can go. We can pay people to stay home, or we can re-educate people and allow them to have a new set of jobs that become essential. I'd love to get your take on not only is UBI inevitable, but what do you think happens when they do start initiating UBI?
4: So two things. One, Alaska has a very I don't know if they still have it, so I might I, – I haven't done research on this in a while. But the last that I knew, Alaska has a lot of oil – I think it's oil reserves. I don't know what it is. There's some commodity that they have that they actually – if they have any profit from that commodity, they actually take that money and they pay it out as a surplus from the state to the people. So they break it up and they give it back to the people if there's a surplus from that commodity. And that is a form of universal basic income. And I think that the problem is, is that we have a notion that universal basic income just means that we're all gonna give a money into a pot from everybody and that we're just gonna divide it up without any equal like weight to what those individuals are doing. Um, So I think that that's the first thing that we have to really think about when we're thinking about universal basic income. Do I think universal basic income? And and then the other thing too, is we have things that are similar to universal basic income now. Like in Arizona, we have something called uh, access, it's called access or like... um, Forgot the full name for it is, but there's something where like if you don't have a job, you can go and get like unemployment. Unemployment's almost like a form of universal basic income to an extent, except it's not in this mindset where we all get this money. This money goes in this pool and then everybody gets it distributed equally. Now, that being said, do I think that there is reason to have certain types of universal basic income? A- absolutely, I think that there are, to help lots of different people. Um, do I think that if that happens, will it make everybody lazy? I don't think so because of the concept that people have an in- a tendency to actually work and produce. So we don't see it because we only see – we don't think about it enough to realize how many people are in the world. And a lot of the people that if they didn't have a job – I like to think of Star Trek as the best – idea of this like in Star Trek they don't have any money they don't have any You can just go get food made from the, like the foods like engineered and made, but like people still have jobs and they work because there's things that need to happen in the society for those things to function. So that being said, I don't think it's going to make everybody lazy if it happens. Do I think it's the best idea? No, I don't think universal basic income is the best idea um, because it puts us into the way that we think of communist Russia, uh, communist Russia, um, where, you know, like the doctors got paid the same as like the janitor type of thing where all the money came into the state and state distributed. We don't want that and we shouldn't want that. But are there types of universal basic income that could be beneficial? Absolutely. Um, So that's the first thing. Second thing is, second thing is when it comes to AI, I think people don't realize how many jobs are going to be created because of the fact that we actually need people to manage and utilize the artificial intelligence. So there was a report that I read a while ago that actually even though artificial intelligence and robotics will reduce certain employ, like certain labor, it's actually going to increase labor more because of the jobs that we have. The problem is, is that do we have the people that have the skill set to do those new jobs? And is that going to be cause a problem? Because the thing is, let's say robots take over the people that are at McDonald's. Now, I need people to have jobs at McDonald's because I I don't actually eat at McDonald's. But let's say I did eat at McDonald's, but if I needed a job, I would need to go and get my burger. I'm not going to do that. Someone needs to do that. Now, if, if it's a robot, that's fine. But that person now, that person may not have the skill set to be a robotics engineer. And so that's one of the things as a community we have to think about, okay, well, as artificial intelligence and robotics happens, what are we doing to make sure that the people that are going to be take, lose their jobs, how are we going to make sure that they have the skill set to become artificial intelligence programmers or computer programs or software designers or hardware designers? Um, so so to that end, I don't think it's going to be as bad of a thing as people think. Think it is? I think that that's just like a narrative that we put out there. But when we start to look at the actual facts of what would happen, there might be there's benefits to it. There's you know minuses to it. We just have to really look at what it is and what is exactly would be happening to see if there's ever there's really going to be a benefit of it. So that's my that's that's my two cents.
0: Thank you so much, Jeremy. And what's really interesting about what you talked about is the replacement of jobs. Right? We have to go through a re education process. And heard an interesting statistic the other day. It said that to be in the military, you have to have an IQ above eighty. Right, which is an, you would think it would be a low IQ. Over 10% of the population has an IQ below 80, which means that the military can't find a single job that they would be capable of doing. That's what that means indirectly. That's what they're stating. And I feel like we have a similar issue where if not only does there need to be a willingness from the public to re-educate themselves, they have to be the type of people who are you know able to re-educate themselves throughout a process. And I do think that process may be very, very expensive, but We can debate it all day. I loved a lot of the takes you had. We got 206 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We got the FinWiz in the building, and we're about to break down some XRP news today as XRP just had a major breakthrough when it comes to Amazon as Ripple ODL joins Amazon payment service provider. Will this drive the price of XRP to $5? I'm going to go out on a limb and say no. Interco and Ripple ODL client has announced a partnership with Amazon's peer-to-peer service program. Ripple's ODL service has been seeing massive global adoption lately. And this newest partnership, it could open the floodgates for Amazon providers. So Inter and Co are the owners of a leading Brazil financial services super app, Inter. And the client of Ripple's on-demand liquidity service has announced that it has joined Amazon's payment service provider program. Inter's uh, Brazilian clients who are sellers within the Amazon US will now be able to receive and send cross-border payments directly through Inter accounts. This partnership to make Inter one of only 28 providers registered with the Amazon provider, and this program is worldwide. Jeremy, what really caught my attention about this article is that Amazon customers are now leveraging cryptocurrency for cross-border payments, and the best part about Amazon is it's a global network. So the fact that they're opening this corridor from Brazil to the United States, I soon think we could see many other countries follow. I'm going to kick it to you, and then we'll go to Mario. What does this article mean to you, my friend?
4: Yeah, so I think this is super important because... I know that we all like getting stacking our bags in crypto. We like thinking that, you know, XRP is going to moon and I believe that that's going to happen. But the thing, the reason why I got a crypto in the first place was for the ability to create different types of technologies. That yes, who doesn't like la- who doesn't want to become wealthy off of crypto? That part I get, that part I agree with 100%. But the thing that ex- excites me the most about cryptocurrencies and the actual technologies behind them is things like this. Right? So you have something where whether or not you believe You know, Jeff Bezos should be as wealthy as he is, or whether or not you believe Amazon should do better for unions is irrelevant. The fact is that Amazon is everywhere. Amazon solved a really big um, problem in the marketplace. For example, like there is a uh, book, uh, it's called, it's, He's a, a patriarch in Tendai Buddhism. His name's Enan, And so he has a, an Oxford professor wrote a book on him many, many, many years ago. If we did not have Amazon or the internet, I would not be able to buy that book. I probably wouldn't even known that it existed, let alone be able to purchase it you know, from Amazon. And so Amazon, even though we think of it, as like a glorified postal service, which it is, but they solved it because they're, they're like the largest postal service with the ability to have everything in one spot to send out. And so that, one, is amazing. And then secondly, to be able to understand that they can do the cross-border payments, which is something that's super, super important for people that are in South America and Central American countries to be able to have the ability to do that. Because as we know, when you utilize crypto technology or blockchain technology for the payment systems, it is a much easier, safer, better, faster way to do those transactions. Um, So I'm super, super excited about it. And Mario, another great detail about this article is the fact that all of these payments are
0: going to be going through the XRPL and the XRPL has had zero failed transactions. And when you use the current SWIFT system, there's a 3% failure rate. So it's an improvement from security. It's an improvement when it comes to lowering costs. And it's also an improvement when it comes to instant settlement. What do you think about Ripple being leveraged for Amazon's instant on-demand liquidity?
3: Yeah, I think that's, it's it's great. And uh, Jeremy put it in a, in a really fantastic way. And, I, you know, I, I agree with him 100%. Uh, Amazon has solved a, a massive problem in, in, the, in the industry, and, and you know, they've put themselves in that position. Whether people like it or not, they, they've, they're, they've really gotten good at what they do, and, and they've got a massive network. But I see Brazil being at the lead of uh, a lot of adoption that's happening in the crypto space as well, too, which is pretty great. Um, I know from personal experience, from dealing with a lot of Brazilians in the community where I'm at, they send money to, back to their country a lot. So um, the fact that they can now send their money and the money can get there to their families like, you know, in, in a matter of seconds and, and, and very efficiently, very, very uh, cheap, that, that's great. So um, I think that this is this is what Ripple uh, created and, and this is what Ripple is trying to tackle is that cross-border payment solution. And I think we're only going to see more of it uh, going forward. We just need a little bit of clarity from the United States, and that's going to give confidence for, for companies to want to work with Ripple again.
0: Thank you, Marion. I want to get some thoughts from NFT Tones on this next article, as I know Johnny Crypto has been very critical of the Flare Network project. We got an official distribution date from Binance yesterday, stating that they would be distributing the Flare Network token on January 9th of 2023. I will not be holding my breath, but this is some pretty exciting news, Tones. What do you think about Flare officially distributing their token? And what could this mean for the DeFi ecosystem on the XRPL?
2: Yo, this will be huge if it actually comes out. And I mean, if it actually comes out, because God knows this thing might be pushed back another 20 goddamn times. Who knows if it'll actually come out January 9th, but God knows we can only hope that it does, because when it really does, this could really change how things operate on the XRPL. So I'm really, really excited for Flare. We just need it to actually come. And yeah, where to
0: you?: it'll be fantastic. Sorry, Thomas, didn't mean to cut you off there, but Jeremy, anybody who doesn't know, you've got over a decade of banking experience and we had a fantastic guest on the show yesterday, Crypto Lulu, who broke down how in the future, maybe just three or four years from now, we're going to be able to take our XRP, go to the Bank of America, secure it in an account and earn while having basically zero risk to our initial liquidity. Flare Network could be another solution for people who don't qualify as, as an accredited investor and have the ability to work with banks. So I'd love to get your opinion here from a banking system perspective. What do you think about Flare Networks allowing XRP holders to earn, you know, five to eight percent on the XRP they're holding today?
4: So I'm going to go back to something that Johnny Crypto says all the time. It all depends on if their uh, their ability to create liquidity and solvency to pay that eight five to eight percent is available for them to create without having for people to buy more flair or to buy more some type of token right because if that's the case then it's just the ponzi scheme but if they if they partner with the banks, some of that money could come from the banks again i'm not 100 percent sure on the whole thing because i didn't watch the what was talked about yesterday but to that end with the banking thing i do believe though that Every single bank, if you go, you can go and find information on how they are working with the blockchain, whether or not that is through understanding the ledger technology to integrate the distributed ledger technology into their current banking system to create new products and services, right? If they, once they realize, you know, JP Morgan, uh, not JP Morgan, um, uh, Jamie Dimon, when he was doing his conversation and they were talking about when he said, you know altcoins are crap or whatever the case is. He does say in that same like um conference or press release or whatever it was that he believes in the blockchain technology, that it solves big problems. And that's the thing I think that a lot of people have to kind of separate themselves from the technology itself can solve so many, so many problems. But what's interesting about this, it's also coupled with this ability to speculate on cryptocurrency coins that allows people to make money also. And so so I think all the banks are trying to figure out where blockchain fits into their, their current ecosystem and what products and services they can make. But I believe that that could be something that could happen in the next couple of years because banks are always going to try to get more money to create more solvency and be able to lend more money out. And why wouldn't they do that with XRP once they have the infrastructure in place?
0: 100% Jeremy. And you brought up something great, which was interoperability. We got 240 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. The Ethereum virtual sidechain on XRPL makes flair obsolete. Sorry, Hugo. Can't say I agree or disagree. I got to do my research there, but we're about to play a very interesting video for our listeners. As uh, Quant Network CEO, Gilbert Verdian, and I always pronounce his name incorrectly, so I apologize is breaking down exactly how Twitter could be a major catalyst for the crypto markets. And we can even discuss how quant may play a pivotal role. I'm going to let the short clip play and go back to the group. Here we go.
1: Ways to do payments using an existing platform like, like Twitter. So having that connected to bank systems, to central digital, central bank digital currency
4: systems, to peer systems, we're going to have a, a new type of world. It,
1: it's very hyper-connected.
0: Jeremy, I don't know if the audio came in perfectly clear there, but I'd love to get some thoughts from you. What he spoke about here, we've been saying on the show for a couple of weeks, and Charles Hoskinson actually said the exact same thing. When Twitter becomes interoperable with crypto payments, that means over 200 million people are going to instantaneously have access to this market. And some of our favorite cryptocurrencies are going to be playing a pivotal role behind the scenes. This is Network CEO talking about how CBDCs, cryptocurrencies, and everything, going to become interoperable under one overledger. We talk about that overledger all the time. I'm going to pull up a quick illustration of what Quant's doing while you break this down. How do you feel about Quant Network possibly being the interoperability solution behind the scenes when
4: it comes to integrating crypto payments on Twitter? So I believe that uh, Quant has the ability to do that and I wish Johnny Crypto was here because he loves Quant and he's been telling me about it for over a year now. So I agree. You have to have... If Quant ends up doing what it is doing, Quant will be one of the biggest, most important crypto technologies or technologies in this space that we have seen in a long time because of the interoperability. You need to have that or you have a bunch of stuff that doesn't talk to each other. And as soon as you can solve that and all of the technology, blockchain technologies can talk to each other and then talk to other technologies. If there's one software or one developing kit you can go to to create those types of things, then quant has really solved one of the largest problems in the space or in any space, really. Right. Because it, this was a big problem. And I forgot. Johnny explains it really well. I wish he was here. He explains it really well because um, he was. Uh, you know, my age back when the internet started. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Because when the internet started, they didn't have the ability for like the protocols to talk to each other. So if that doesn't happen, right, we're going to have a bunch of technologies that can never move this space forward, because they can't, they can't interrupt, they can't um, integrate with each other, and talk to each other, right? And then the second thing is, if Elon can get his shit together, and Apple doesn't take Apple doesn't take the app store off the marketplace. If you can integrate payment systems into Twitter, Twitter is going to be the most important social media platform. And, and I think that if any of the other social media platforms can do that, it will be one of the, most, the best social media platforms. That's why I'm really big into Meta, and I, I hope that Meta can also do this because the thing is is that – Meta has a much larger, better ecosystem than Twitter does because of the ability that you can do Facebook gaming. You can now they have their messenger rooms where you can create events and do rooms inside of uh, Facebook. You can um, uh, um, do that also within Instagram. Right. And inside of Instagram, you have stories. You have the marketplace. You have all kinds of things that are already inside of that ecosystem, if if Facebook was able to get their Libra coin or whatever coin they're doing now off the ground and be able to do those types of payments and then create that within the system itself, they they would win it. But I think that Twitter's on the right path if they do this. And I know that that's one of the reasons based off of some of the conversations that I've heard between Jack Dorsey and Elon Musk, that Jack Dorsey still wants to do that because... That's where he wants to take his company, Block, which used to be called Square, into the future because he's a really big into Bitcoin. Um, I would say he is the biggest Bitcoin maximalist if I have ever heard one. But I think that that's super, super important. And I hope that I, I hope that they're able to do it.
0: Elon Musk actually shared a little bit of positive news yesterday about Twitter possibly being removed from the Apple store. He said, him and Tim had a good conversation. Among other things, we resolved the underlying mis- we resolved the misunderstanding about Twitter potentially being removed from the Apple store. Tim was clear that Apple was never considering removing Twitter. Jeremy, I'm going to give you a quick chance to
4: comment, then we'll go to Towns. No, I think that that's great. That's always been my thing. Like, If you don't own the marketplace, you don't own anything. Right. You can have the best app in the world, but if you can't get it out to people and the marketplace stops you from moving that thing, it doesn't matter. And I don't even know. All I remember was that they were saying that Apple was thinking about it. I don't know what the reasoning was behind it. Um, I think I'll be honest. I think Elon, I don't think Elon Musk has any ill, bad intentions about what he's doing with Twitter. I think that when he reneged on – this is my personal opinion because so, I don't know him. I think when he reneged on the deal and it had to go to court, I believe, and then he was forced to follow through with the purchase, I think he realized that it wasn't the best thing to do and he had made a mistake. But now he's living with his mistake. He's got it, and now the be- you, he just needs to get it up and running, make it profitable, and he can flip it and make his money back.
0: NFT Tones, I'd love to get some of your thoughts on the Quant Network news we just shared. Twitter possibly integrating payments, but one of the things that stuck out to me about this video, if I can locate it here, was the fact that there were two pivotal companies and I can't. There were two pivotal companies in the background. There was Swift and there was JP Morgan on the sign behind the Quant Network CEO. What do you think about those two companies indirectly being involved in that video?
2: Yeah, that's huge. I mean, usually you don't see a lot of that, especially you don't see them. don't see JP Morgan working with XRP. So the fact that they're working with Quant, it it kind of is a little surprising. And I feel like it's huge news. It's something definitely pay attention for. And like Johnny Crypto always says, I feel like you need to put your coins, you got to have multiple horses running. So I feel like Quant is definitely not financial advice, but Quant is definitely one of those horses that you want to look at because it is an ISO 20022 coin. And it's definitely one of those coins Considering the fact that it has interoperability that allows everyone to talk, allows all these blockchains to talk, it is very beneficial for the networks and all these coins. So I feel like this is huge. And the fact that it could allow Twitter to do payments and stuff, it shows how good this technology is evolving and shows us that it is being pushed in the right direction. What is a little nerve wracking and frustrating is where these rumors and stuff is coming out because a lot of this rumors and stuff I'm afraid is to actually hurt and stop crypto from growing as much it is, as it is because people are scared of it. So I feel like, or, so I feel like these rumors are coming out to stop um, crypto from growing as much. And so the fact that Tim Sweeney and Elon came together and discussed this and debunked this, I feel like it's huge news.
0: Thank you, Tones. You dropped a couple of gems there. We got 262 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like, button. NFT Tones said they're using this FTX collapse as an opportunity to scare retail investors away from crypto and push us into centralized entities. One of our good friends, Yeah Bro Mike, sent me this DM last night showing a video of Janet Yellen breaking down exactly how they're going to roll out regulation due to the FTX collapse. We're going to let this short clip play and go to Mario for some comments. Here we go. we can't hear it as yeah sorry guys this audio is way too low what she basically says is i strongly believe everything we've led we've been we've gone through with ftx is due to a lack of regulation and it's her job as well as other global regulators to bring in a unified regulation for a global environment because this is much bigger than the united states what do you think about her acknowledging the ftx collapse as a catalyst to bring in new global regulation mario
3: yeah i I mean i think so and A part of me can't help but wonder if this if this isn't all orchestrated to to be happening this way. Right. Maybe the reason why we haven't had regulation in the United States. And again, this is something that came up to my mind is because they're working on a worldwide regulation. Maybe that's what's taking them so long, because blockchain and cryptocurrency, we know that it involves the entire uh, global. It's a global technology, so it it involves the entire world. And it's going to be very difficult for blockchain to. uh, and technologies to progress. If the United States has one one regulation, United Kingdom has another, Australia another, China another. So, I really think that the the um, the world needs to come together and produce a regulation that that um, that helps the industry move in the right direction. But the FTX collapse. I mean, I can't help but wonder. You know, if it's uh, well, I can't help but think that it is orchestrated to make people think that way and to also FUD people out of the market. I mean, these kind of events happen all the time.
0: Jeremy, I think you're going to love this next video because we're about to compare what happened in 2008 and 2009 to the collapse of 2022. And we blame regulation for the reason, but the reality is they stole money. Regulation isn't going to fix that. We're going to let the short clip play and get comments from the group. Here we go.
1: Do you think he, I mean, your colleague Mark Cuban has said he, you know, fully expects him probably most likely to go to jail. Do you think that will be the outcome? And is that the justice?
3: I have no idea. I, 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 I tell people to remember 2008, 2009, a financial crisis, you know, 10, 20, 100 times bigger than this one. I didn't see a single banker go to jail. You know, there's a difference between being a criminal and being negligent. And, you know, maybe sometimes they're both the same, but I'm going to wait for the facts to come out. And if someone says to me, you know, he's going to go
1: to jail, I have no idea if that's going to happen. Nobody does. We have to find out what the facts are. So I don't like to uh, speculate. I'd rather just find the facts.
0: So he doesn't like to speculate, but he will go out of his way to tell you to invest and put your money in this platform before he does the research. And Jeremy, it's extremely frustrating when you see these guys promoting these things so openly saying that there's nothing wrong. But then when they collapse, claiming negligence, they didn't understand it. They didn't know what's going on. We're going to show you a video from Sam (laughs) and Freed after we get some comments here, breaking down how he's being promoted by the propaganda machine we call the mainstream media.
4: Jeremy, so, I wanted to go to you for some. For some you, no, 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 your guys I just wanted to make sure you wanted me to. So, so first thing, first things first. So, I'm not going. If if someone it comes to someone and asks them to promote a thing, right? If you're new to that into that space, that can be really, really enticing. If so, if you have like I don't know, five hundred thousand followers, and someone comes to you and they're like, "I'm going to give you thirty thousand dollars to talk about this coin." Like you would be like, okay, cool. I think this coin is good. They're not going to give you any background information on the books of what's happening in that business. You're going to look at it and say, okay, either one of two things you're going to say, that's a shitload of money. I don't give a crap. I'm going to just talk about it. Or two, "Um, that's not in my alignment or that is in my alignment. I'm going to do it. On a basic level, that's what you're going to do. So in my opinion, sometimes it's hard to go at the people that are promoting the thing because of the fact that they don't know what they don't know. And a lot of them aren't going to be privy to that stuff. The problem that I have in this situation with uh, Kevin O'Leary is the fact that, A, he's a businessman, one. So he would understand and know what to ask and look for if someone was negligent or he's a horrible businessman. Secondly, secondly, he owns part of the companies that's that FTX owns. There's like subsidiaries that he has ownership in. So wouldn't he want to know what was happening if he has some type of ownership in the thing that he is doing? And so that's where I think that it's kind of like, okay, yes, I can see where there is a difference between negligent and criminal. I believe, I believe, because I don't know all the ins and outs like you guys do, because this is where you guys spend all of your time. I, I, I want to say that this was a really big negligent thing hundred percent negligent. A lot of people don't know how to run businesses. A lot of people get advisors to help them run the businesses. I mean, that's really the reason why myself and CJV are a part of collecting is they want us to help them with the business aspect of running the business to help give advice so that they don't end up in a bad situation. Right. And so and so when I think of it that way, like, yeah, this could be a case of negligence. It could be a case of criminal. I will agree with him, though, that the 2008-2009 collapse was much worse than anything that's happening right now. And when I see people talking about these things, I, I feel bad because people lost a lot of money. But this type of stuff happens a lot more frequent than people think, Um, one. And then two, the 2008-2009 crisis was a bunch of companies doing a bunch of stupid shit excuse my language, a bunch of stupid shit that was all interconnected to certain types of derivatives on the insurance market and on the swap market. And when all of that crossed over, all of those things also went global. So it created a whole global catastrophe financial crisis. And I think that this is a lot different. So I don't think it's fair to compare this to that era because this type of negligence happens a lot and at least a lot more than we think it does.
0: So. And Jeremy brought up something important, which is that in 2008, the collapse was much larger, but we do have an impending collapse or a possible black swan event when it comes to Tether. And that would be a $65 billion bubble. I, as a crypto investor, I'm hoping that's not the case, but there's lots of signs within the market today, leading us to believe that Tether could not be done yet when it comes to a market collapse, but we got 270 live listeners joining us. Show us some love, smash that like button. We're about to break down a video of how Sam Bankman Fried spoke at an event in New York and they treated him like royalty. This is a five-second clip, and we're going back to the group. Here we go. Much. Um, thank
1: you not to so thank you so very, very much. Um, thank you.
0: So that's just a very, very brief introduction of what went down yesterday. I'm going to pull up some more videos, but it sets the tone for the entire event. Not only was Sam considered to be somebody who was great. Thank you so much for showing up today and speaking to the public. But also, they treat him as if he wasn't a criminal. And when they asked him about some of his criminal charges, we're going to show you, he was very negligent in the way that he answered. He tried to promote himself as being innocent. He tried to say he didn't understand what he was doing. Then he went on an interview with Good Morning America and stated some exact opposite claim. So Mario, while I pull up this other video, I'd love to get some thoughts. What do you think about this introduction here? And look at the people. Round of applause, Sam Bannon-Fried, for taking my $10 billion.
3: Yeah, it's it's crazy. The, the, the way that they're portraying him in, in the media is... I can't, I can't honestly believe that, that, that it's happening. It's, it's surreal. I mean, the amount of people that were affected by his bad choices and okay, you could be bad at, at managing a business, but how can you, I don't, in, in anybody's mind, you know, the fact that you're taking money out of one place, putting it in another, giving, investing in something else, having them put the money, you know, just the way he was running things, it was obvious that it was going to come down falling like a house of cards. So, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens, but I'm I'm of the opinion that he may not go to jail. And, um, you know, the fact that he says that he he wasn't aware and that he that's not his intentions. You know, he's he's obviously got lawyers telling him what to say and they're telling him that he can't say much. So he's obviously not going to say, yeah, I knew exactly what I was doing and those were my intentions. He's going to say that it wasn't. So, uh, yeah, I'm interested to see what, how this uh, story develops. But, you know, we see support coming from all directions, you know, from media. From uh, Kevin O'Leary, um, you know, the video that you just showed, everybody's supporting him. So there's a there's a
4: different agenda. See, Sammy, like, I
0: love this comment here. Well, it said, while we're focused on Sam Bankman, fried what else is going on? I'm kicking it to you. I thought that nah, was a great, great insight.
4: That, no, that's a really good point. Like, that's the one thing is like, that's the problem with the way that we consume news. And if you follow me on any of my social media platforms or listen to my podcast, Shameless Plug, of SharePoint, podcast. If you listen to any of my stuff, like that's one of the main things that I talk about, is we consume news at an emergency level events, which isn't what is actually happening around the world and what is really really going on. Because we consume our news through Twitter or through Facebook. We don't consume our news away from the headlines and fully understand what is being said in everything, and then going and looking at the resources to verify that what is being said was super, super beneficial. And then the other thing too, is when we look at this, like some of the the, the criminal charges against Sam Bankman Freed are wires fraud and money laundering. You can do wires fraud and money laundering and be charged with it and not fully understand that you were doing something that the government recognizes as money laundering or wire fraud. And so I just want to make that clear that if you are really Ignorant, right, in what you were doing, which he could have been, right? Because a lot of the times we think because someone's really smart at something, they're not ignorant in a lot of the other things. So he was really good at creating this crypto exchange. He could be a fucking idiot in every other aspect of his life, but because we see that one thing that he's good at, we would be like, oh, he must be good at all of these other things. He could have been completely ignorant on what he was doing. And he could be 100% true. I'm not trying to, like, say that he didn't do anything wrong. I'm just saying that, like, what Kevin O'Leary said, and I don't like agreeing with Kevin O'Leary at any time whatsoever, <clears throat> but I do think that, like, look at what the charges are, see if he gets convicted, and I, I, I'll be honest, I doubt he's going to go to jail, which is my personal opinion, so. NFT Tones, floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, you
2: know, so I have to completely agree with Jeremy here because – I've been watching TikToks and I've been all over TikTok and I saw a TikTok and it was basically like, uh, this man won't go to jail unless they can actually prove that he was doing this with intent. And if he wasn't doing this without intent and like, unless there was actual proof, then this man isn't going to jail. And to be honest with who his parents are and everything, I don't think there is going to be any proof that he was doing this. With intent. So I don't think, I think SBF is going to get off the hook. And we now know that this is definitely some kind of legal loophole in the financial system that we now need to pay attention for because if there's no intent, that means then he's not going to jail. So definitely keep that in your mind. Jeremy, I feel like it's just another prime example of you don't go to jail if you're rich,
0: but you go to jail if you're poor. You can go to jail for stealing $1,000. This guy steals $10 billion, and He's doing Good Morning America interviews. So we're going to let this short clip play. I know the audio is a little bit tough. Then we'll go back to the group.
2: Yep. We are used to pay Alameda's creditors. Carolyn Ellison said you knew about that. Is that true? You know, the best I can tell, uh, Alameda did have a big position open on, on FTX. Um, that position, uh, I think, was... You know, very over collateralized. Uh, a year ago, there is a, a total market collapse, and you know, specifically large correlated collapse in its assets. You know, over the last month, and to some extent over the last year, that
0: I uh, you know threatened that position quite a bit. And I think that's you know, as best I understand, a lot of what happened there. I, I am no cryptocurrency expert. I'm no finance expert, yeah. but I don't
2: think you answered my question. I was asking, did you know that FBX deposits were used to pay off Alameda creditors?
0: This guy handles ten billion dollars. You can't answer this freaking question. I'm gonna let it play.
2: deposits being used to pay off alameda creditors
0: how convenient jeremy i'm picking it right through. it's it's honestly it's frustrating it's disgusting and when you think about what Bitboy did going to the bahamas searching for answers some people may think it's just a media campaign somebody has to go there and put it put his feet to the fire and good morning america is not going to do that when they ask him questions he pretends like I, he doesn't speak english anymore
4: or something i don't know i'd like to get some thoughts from you jeremy Oh, I just want to say I love the, the love to the I'm not a crypto or banking expert, but I don't think that you answered my question because like that's the thing. Like the great thing about journalism, right, is like they usually ask like yes or no questions. So if you don't get a yes or no and it's anything other than that, it's usually some way to deflect the way in which the question was asked. And that's exactly what he did. Again, I think that in those cases, He should have known, right? You would have to be really, really negligent, which is, like I said, I'm not saying it's not a possibility. I'm going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt, but like to the point that he can't answer it. And the other thing too is lawyers are probably telling him not to answer anything, even if he has a really good answer that could make it where he didn't know. Like he could say something where he didn't know, but then it puts the blame on something else that causes a bigger problem. So I I think that it was stupid to go I think it's stupid to go on the news in this type of case, especially if you have the charges against you. If you don't have the charges against you, then maybe you can go. You still might make it worse. Um, but yeah, I think I think that that was kind of useless and no one got any answers.
0: Mario, Jeremy Hogan also took the time to respond yesterday, breaking down exactly what FTX did that was illegal. The FTX terms of service are very, very clear. All digital assets were to be held in users' accounts and not be used by FTX for any purpose. There's no wiggle room, and it's what I could call a grand problem for them. So this is very interesting, Mario Jeremy Hogan, typically an XRP guy, taking the time point out the criminal activity here. What does it mean to you, my friend?
3: Yeah, I think that part is obvious. I mean, if if uh, if you have an exchange and you have users depositing into your exchange, you're not supposed to be using those assets to go and invest in companies where you you can't liquidate those those assets back into FTX. I mean, it, that part it just makes total sense and. And the fact that this has come down crashing was you know it was only a matter of time they they got so big so quick and the way that they were operating the business it was going to come down crashing and the crypto market uh coming down and well well you know all markets coming down just sped up the process so yeah to Tom,
0: bring us home here SBF being exposed but it's really interesting because if these games were being played behind the scenes for years without anybody noticing until the collapse. How many existing exchanges or people in this market do you think are are doing illegal activities? And will that have an inevitable impact
2: someday? Oh, it definitely will. I mean, I I found out that apparently FTX had no accounting department. I mean, who knows how many other exchanges are doing similar shit and other stuff like that. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about like no
4: accounting department you probably don't have the accounting department as you and me know tones that the accounting for digital assets is a fucking nightmare
2: it is
1: (laughs) but it 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 is is it
2: is but you definitely need one i mean look what happened i mean they had it's just insane what was going on behind the scenes and like holy shit it boggles my mind and like i wonder how many other exchanges are actually doing this because like eventually it will catch up and it could really harm the crypto uh, market. so like all these exchanges doing it need to definitely be careful.
4: yeah I mean the 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 biggest thing of what what Jeremy put on the on the when he looked over the what they did the only thing is is that if he loaned that money to something an entity that wasn't FTX trading, in which case there is a bypass of how you can look at at, at, at that and reading it. If he did legitimately do that and then they use that as a debt obligation and lent against, right, because the other thing, too, is, is if you look at that and you're looking at how they lend the money, right, from those assets, they may not be lending those assets, but those assets could be put up against a loan and a lawyer could possibly argue that that's not what that is saying which is the reason why people also need to do a really good job reading the fine print and agreements and maybe not go into some of the things that they do. But, you know, that's a pain in the ass and they make them so long. So you're not going to read them. Um, And so so but if that's the case and he definitely did something 100 percent illegal and he should be held accountable for it.
0: 100 percent. And I think what the truth is going to rise to surface eventually i want to play one last video here about quant network this quant network is not only going mainstream for the statements made around twitter this is a european version of what we would call fox business breaking down exactly what quant's doing behind the scenes and it seems like quant may be going mainstream
1: making cross-border banking services accessible and reliable is paramount to driving growth and development across the globe Quant is working to create a new digital payment network that will transform lives and markets by enabling seamless cross-border transactions and expanding access to financial inclusion to millions of people.
0: Jeremy, we can stop it there because they pretty much break down everything we repeat on this channel all the time. But interoperability seems to be synonymous with Quant Network. Every time we hear that word, we see this symbol, Quant, which you're showing on the screen. We got 249 live listeners joining us. Show us some love. Smash that like button. We've got a hilarious video prepared for the end of the episode. But Jeremy, I did just want to get some closing thoughts. When we talk about Quant, it's a very low market cap. It's only about $2 billion. There's only 14.6 million tokens, and it's got some of the best connections on the planet. What do you think about them rolling out mainstream? And think about the solutions they're creating. A lot of them seem to be coming to the forefront.
4: Yep. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say this with every project moving forward, or at least with projects that I believe in. I believe that what Quan is doing is what we need to have happen in the space. Okay? So if you were to buy cryptocurrency, I don't think that there would be a problem with buying Quan. I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not saying go out and buy that. What I am saying is that it makes sense. Can they continue to create liquidity and solvency after they have working product or services without issuing more coin and getting money that way, right? If they can do that, then they should be fine. That's one of the reasons why I love the play to earn space or at least with Gala, right? Now, again, Gala, something bad might happen with Gala. I don't know. I can't predict the freaking future. What I can say is that when I buy Gala or if I have a node that creates Gala coins, I know that Gala can make other money because they sell the skins and the pieces and the piece, the, the, the players that you use inside of their games. So there's other money and revenue that is being generated in that space that helps them continue to create the liquidity and solvency that they need to make sure the business flourishes, right? And so the same thing goes with Quaint. The technology is fantastic, but the strong technology I thought would be fantastic too, and I still believe strong technology is fantastic, but it cannot create revenue outside of just giving out more strong and people buying more strong, which is in essence, just a giant Ponzi scheme. So Quaint will be very, very, very beneficial if they can make it run without having to just reissue more coin.
0: Thank you, Jeremy. And this is an amazing video I wanna prepare for our listeners because a lot of us had similar conversations during the shitcoin market during 2021, we saw a bunch of projects with no real utility pop off and make everyone a bunch of money. This man went on, uh, I think it's called Squawk Box, and he was addressing one of the projects that he invested in, saying he's up over 25% in the last day. This is going to be one of the most pivotal projects in the future. And then he, he pretty much speaks for itself. So I'm going to let this short clip play and then we'll laugh about it. Here we go. Uh,
4: Tesla, MGM, and AIG. Why
1: those four, all of which you've bought within, well, basically this week except Tesla uh, end of last month? Yeah, so, well, Upstart's up about 25% just in four days since we, since we bought it. We bought it on uh, about four days ago. Uh, so that's actually made a, a nice little move in the uh, short term, probably a little extended right now, but longer term, uh, that, that's a, that's a, a good-looking uh, name. Uh, very powerful, very strong earnings. These stocks are- actually What do they do? Really I don't well. even know them. What do they do? Uh, excuse me? What does Upstart do? Uh, well, I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry. What kind of company? Are you in? <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Uh, you're you're
0: breaking up. Oh, but Jeremy, it's up 25 percent in the last 24 hours. What am I doing here? I mean, I don't think I even need to know what it does. The price is going up, right? And that's is a pretty. Much? Much-
4: the price is going up. Just
0: buy it. It just reminds me of exactly what everyone went through in 2021. We used to talk about a lot of the joke projects, a lot of the shit coins. None of us even got involved in them. But if you looked on crypto Twitter during this time, every single week there was a new token that was here to stay. It was going to do the next thousand X. And then it was similar conversations like this. So Mario, why don't you close us out for today's episode? What'd you think of this clip?
3: Yeah, most of those projects tend to tended to have its name ending in Inu. So it was always like, what, what does it do? What is the purpose? What is it going to do? But And then it, we had the node season where there was a bunch of node projects that they were all claiming to give you X percentage returns. But yeah, it's a great way to end the episode, man. That was really funny.
0: You're breaking up, Mario. You're breaking up. Oh. We're going to end this show. <laughs> I'm just kidding.
3: We're going to end this show the same way we always do, by saying thank you to each one of our
0: special guests. Thank you to Mario. Thank you to Jeremy. And thank you to NFT Tones. Shout out to the Italian Stallion. Hope you're feeling better, my friend. We'll see you guys in 23 hours. And like we always say, Warriors, ah, get your shit together, baby. Thank you for joining us.
2: Johnny Crypto, you got to work on that hairstyle.